0: the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire Hey gang, it's good to have you back here for another edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast, your home for advancing the ideas of liberty. Well, at least it's my home for advancing the ideas of liberty, and I am happy to invite you guys into it at least once a week, if not more, if you come over to our website, lionsofliberty.com, where our goal, our mission, is to advance the ideas of liberty. And, And I'm here in my home right now, recording this here in sunny Los Angeles, California. And I want to touch on something real quick, something I posted about on Facebook the other day, and it was kind of a response to some comic criticisms I hear about, you know, why I do this stuff, why do I spend so much time discussing the ideas of liberty, why do I have a website that I started with some friends of mine a few years back, where our goal is to advance the ideas of liberty, why do I spend all this time sitting here in the Lions of Liberty studios pumping out these podcasts for you guys? You know, at some point in the last few years, I decided I made the decision to dedicate my life to the advancement of human liberty. It's something that captured me, something I couldn't escape from. It felt like my calling.
1: Oh, Mark, this is Liberty Falling. Step aboard.
0: But people often have some criticisms, and a lot of the criticisms I hear about my dedication to this, the fact that I spent so much time doing this, I'll hear things like, No, what's the point? People are never gonna change. Or people are just too stupid to be free. Or, you know, why don't you just focus on your career? You don't even make money doing this stuff. And it's true, I don't make money doing this stuff, although you can help us out, help us pay the bills a little bit, by clicking on that Amazon link over on our website. Any purchases you make do give us a little kickback. But no, we did not start Lions of Liberty as some sort of profit-making venture. We started it to do what our mission statement says, to advance the ideas of liberty. Now, and these criticisms, they, they make several presumptions. And the first two, when people say that people are just too stupid to be free, too stupid to get this stuff, or that people are never going to change, you know, these make certain presumptions about the nature of man. And yet, these very same people that make these presumptions don't seem to think that they apply to themselves. You know, it's only those other people who can't change, or other people who are just too stupid to get this stuff. Of course they can get it. Of course they're smart people who can change. But they seem to think that somehow these ideas they have about the negative nature of man, their inability to adapt, their inability to learn, don't apply to themselves. Just seems a little nutty to me. Now call me crazy, but we're all flesh and blood. And even the most cursory examination of human history and the world around us reveals that humans as a species are quite subject to change in our societal structures and the way we act towards our fellow man. And one must only look at the incredible technologies and written works we have that man has produced over the years to prove that people are not stupid by their nature. It's it's actually quite ridiculous when you think about it. You know, and lastly, there's this presumption that because I do this, because I spend all this time talking about ideas and philosophy and liberty, that I don't have a career, that I'm some sort of losertarian who lives in my mom's basement, <laughs> or that I, you know, I sacrifice it, and there, there are a lot of sacrifices I make, time that I could be spending doing a bunch of other stuff. I could be playing Mario Kart in the other room right now, but instead I'm here doing this, recording this podcast for you guys. I could be doing a million things right now. Happy hour already started. I could be there now. But I choose to spend a lot of my time on this. But one thing I don't sacrifice to advance liberty is my career. What career? You no, know, you it is actually possible to both have a career and spend some free time advocating for the things you believe in. It's true. It's true. <laughs> And I'm living proof. But, but you know, even if I was a pauper, even if I was a losertarian, even if I didn't have a career, even if it wasn't, you know, doing well, even if I was just a financial wreck and I cared not for material things, would this really even be an appropriate criticism to place morality over economic gain? Would that be such a terrible thing? You now that's the old phrase, money can't buy happiness, it came from somewhere, people, and it's true. Money can get you a lot of things in life. It's not going to bring you happiness. It's not going to bring more human liberty to people, not all by itself. Now, hey, look, if I get a million, million Facebook followers and 100,000 people a week listen to this podcast, sure, there are ways I can make a little money doing it, and that would be great, because if I can make a little bit of money doing this, I can put even more time and effort into it. Oh, there I go ranting again, huh? You know, and usually I save my rant for the end of the show, but today I just had to kind of get some stuff out there. You know, sometimes this podcast is just my therapy because when you're immersed in all this Liberty stuff all the time, when you're constantly fighting for ideas, sometimes you can feel like you're the only one out there. Yeah, I can see the views and I can see the podcast listens and I know there are people out there, but sometimes you forget, especially out here, in california in los angeles in commie california as so many of my friends that don't live here refer to it they see california as this bastion of just communism and socialism and they're kind of right in a lot of ways the ideas of liberty might not be as popular here as they might be in other parts of the country but there's a great liberty contingent out here show your faces it's not just me doing this stuff there's a lot of other people out here with careers that are also activists, that are out there working hard in their own way. Maybe not the same way I am. We all have different ways of doing it, but there are people out here in this little community of Los Angeles specifically working hard to advance liberty, just as we do here at com. And my guest today is a fellow liberty lover and a fellow Los Angelian. He is a co-founder and board member of Restore the Fourth Los Angeles As well as the founder of Liberty on the Rocks Los Angeles, which promotes two of my favorite things, liberty, as well as some social gatherings that include adult beverages, just a generally good time. Pablo Sergio Serrato, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Hello, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Well, Pablo, I'm happy you can take the time to come and speak with me today. You know, this is the first time I've had you on the show. It's the first time we've spoken. So why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit. Start off by telling us, now, how did you first get interested in all this liberty stuff?
1: Well, in high school and college, I always had this libertarian streak and really developed it in college where I was able to get into a lot of really heated discussions over rights and rules and in political science classes, which at Berkeley tend to skew in a very interesting direction. Berkeley has a really proud history of being on the right side of a lot of really important issues like the draft, free speech, war, specifically being anti-war. But the ability to believe in a free society gets a little cloudy when it comes to economic issues. And sort of honing my arguments there led to interning at the Cato Institute and 9-11, of course, really galvanized a lot of my ideas over what it means to live in a free society and in the run-up to the war in Iraq I uh, was somewhat involved in the anti-war movement and became really disheartened with the way things played out and for like 10 years I pursued my happiness and, and my career. But along the way voted for this guy named Barack Obama in 2008 who promised a lot of really interesting ideas about limiting executive power and obeying the constitution and protecting whistleblowers and, uh, ending wars and became bitterly disappointed over the course of 2008 to 2012. And when he began using drones on Americans, I became really concerned. I was surprised when he was reelected. And in my uh, disappointment, I went to a Students for Liberty regional conference because, uh, people that I knew from Cato were involved with that. And they had an interesting speaker list and discovered that there's quite a bit of uh, liberty activity going on in Los Angeles, partly because of uh, the activities of Judd Weiss. And we have the 10th Amendment Center here and a very active Republican Liberty Caucus and Reason Foundation. And so I, I, I noticed there was all these people hanging out doing their interesting things and found a vehicle for bringing them together through Liberty on the Rocks, which is a national organization. But in January 2013, had their very first meetup. And I joined shortly after as an organizer with Melinda McCrady, who's another interesting liberty individual in LA doing a lot to promote freedom and bring people who are liberty minded together to network.
0: Well, Pablo, it's interesting you mentioned something I always hear, whether when I tell my own story or when I talk to other people is is just that event of 9-11 really woke so many people out of I don't even know I want to call it a slumber, but so many people just kind of start to, for the first time, start to look at things in a different way. You know, I was in college and, you know, I grew up in sort of a, yeah, I guess you would call it a small government Republican household, but I would always find myself coming to the defense of Republican politics or Republican policies because that just seemed like the thing to do at the time. But 9-11 is the first thing that really slapped me in the face and made me start to think, well... Maybe I don't really have everything figured out. Maybe I gotta start looking into some of this stuff, trying to figure out why some of this stuff is happening, especially when I started to see, you know, immediately they're invading this Afghanistan place when all these people are from Saudi Arabia, I thought. So what is this all about? And it really started to, you know, immerse me into this whole learning about foreign policy, learning about the ideas of liberty. Of course i ended up stumbling upon this ron paul fellow now you mentioned you voted for obama in 2008 for reasons that i totally understand because while i didn't vote for him i was kind of too bitter and jaded of a libertarian by that point i definitely was more hopeful he's he's the one of the two options that i preferred to win because mccain just scared the hell out of me and i did have some hope that maybe he would scale back some of the war stuff and in some ways he has but in other ways he's gotten a lot worse you know shutting down guantanamo that kind of thing. He he certainly spoke in a way that some libertarians could certainly see as you know possibly providing some sort of hope. Were you involved with the Ron Paul campaign at that time, or, or were you not kind of that deeply involved with libertarian politics yet?
1: I was aware of it, and I was sharing the hell out of YouTube videos uh, during the Republican primary in two thousand eight. I, I first learned who Ron Paul was when I was in Washington D.C. in the summer of two thousand two. And he was saying extremely interesting things about the Federal Reserve, and over the years helped me understand that non-intervention is the only liberty position for foreign policy. I was not involved with the the primary, to my regret, because uh, again, like I, I was disconnected. I, I didn't feel that I could make a difference, especially in California. How wrong I was! But 2008, and then especially in 2012, the Ron Paul message of libertarian populism has really resonated, and it's just been amazing. I went to hear Ron Paul speak at UCLA in the spring of 2012. And there were 7,000 people there. And I have never seen a crowd that amped up for anything. It was like rock star status. And it's in the middle of West LA, in the middle of Obama's bank, so to speak, (laughs) you know, he comes here to to fundraise and is able to make millions.
0: Oh, yeah, he sure does. And that's the one time you hear about it on Facebook all day long when he's here
1: shutting down traffic with, you know,
0: 20 limos and the secret service and the
1: whole thing. Yeah. So, so it, it, I, I found it striking. And, and like, I, I, I think of that Ron Paul, it's happening GIF. Like th- that was literally it at UCLA during that time. And, and that also helped, you know, revive my hope seeing all these people come together. And it also made me think that I wasn't strange and weird for thinking that, I don't know, that individual human beings aren't the government's property. And, uh, that these ideas may have legs especially because the the crowd was diverse and young and that that was from my experience in the liberty movement in like 2002 not always the case
0: well it's a big step when you start to realize that you're not the only one that thinks a certain way about something because i i mean even when i first started to get interested in this stuff i thought that libertarians were just kind of me ron paul and like maybe a couple other dudes like i didn't ever think there was a serious movement and and i don't think there was that much of a serious movement at least not one that other people were aware of until that ron paul campaign started in 2007 and i was doing the same thing you were doing i was posting the youtube videos some people were telling me this guy's nuts some people weren't but when that when that started to pick up steam and you know those money bombs started coming in and He started making 10 million bucks and setting all kinds of records. That's when you start to wait, 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 what's going on here? It's not, it's actually not just me anymore. There are actually people out there that are concerned about a lot of things about the war on drugs, about America's empire and their foreign policy and all the things that I had just been sort of privately worrying about and privately concerned about for so much time. And it gives you the courage when you see all these people, when you see kids hanging from trees to see this 80 some odd year old dude who you wouldn't think they'd ever be interested in hearing from when they're all here. For one reason, and that's you know to hear these ideas, these ideas that were just kind of not out there in the public for so long, it really can inspire you to sort of keep doing what you're doing, or even amp up whatever you're doing, you know. So, so Pablo, how did you kind of take this general interest in human liberty, in individual rights, uh, the whole thing? How did you kind of start to focus more on this specific mass surveillance issue that's come up recently with the you know the Edward Snowden revelations and the whole thing?
1: Well, it goes back to the idea that war is the health of the state. And the United States has used wars against abstract nouns, terrorism, and drugs in order to justify massive growth in government. And it's there's a dangerous consensus on that, on both the Republican and the Democratic side. But surveillance, surveillance is the health of the state. The right to privacy is, and the history of why the Fourth Amendment exists, is interesting to note. You may not be doing something wrong today, but given access to all of your metadata and the political climate changing as it does, the fact that it is stored and saved means that all they have to do is do a query into X key score and to find something. And the idea that of the panopticon, I believe it's Jeremy Bentham and, and Michel Foucault, guys I read many, many years ago in college, and studies that have since then in social psychology prove that once a population is aware that it is being watched, their behavior fundamentally changes. And I believe that human flourishing, individuality, all these things are very, very important. And there are only things that can happen from within. If a population knows it's being watched and knows it's being observed, their behavior is going to change. And that is a very subtle form of oppression.
0: Sure. And that's not the first thing most people think of when they think about the NSA spying, they might think, you know, oh, you know, I, I don't want the NSA seeing, you know, what websites I've been looking on or or what have you or reading my private emails. But there is a deeper kind of issue here, a deeper psychological issue that goes on to a greater population when it is aware that it is being spied upon. Now, I've done some traveling in my time, and I've spoken with people from Cuba. And I that's one thing that they tell me that I've learned is that, you know, in Cuba, every neighborhood has or supposedly has uh, kind of moles in them. I don't, I don't remember the term they use, but they have people that live in their neighborhoods that work for the Cuban government. Everybody's kind of aware these people are around. Nobody necessarily knows who they are, so in some ways they, they always kind of maybe suspect their neighbor as being a government agent. They certainly don't have the kind of technological spying framework we have, but it has this chilling effect where they're often afraid to even have political conversations with each other, even sometimes in their own home. You know, they, they won't even say the words Castro. They'll make a little symbol with their, you know, with their fingers. And that's, that represents Castro. So it's even something as simple as the idea, putting an idea out there that you are being watched on, whether it's someone in your neighborhood or just in general, so, you know, just on your phone or typing on Facebook or, or what have you, just when that idea seeps out and becomes sort of accepted in the population, it really does have a sort of a chilling effect on political speech, which is the most important speech that we could possibly protect, because, you know, we don't have the First Amendment. This is something Ron Paul said in a debate once. You know, we don't have the First Amendment to talk about the weather. The First Amendment is there to specifically protect political speech from persecution from the government.
1: Yes. And also knowing history and knowing how surveillance has been used in the past to silence what is labeled as opposition or, or people with unpopular ideas. People like Martin Luther King, who the FBI monitored his office, his church, his hotel rooms, because they believed him to be a threat to, to the United States. A man who is advocating for equal treatment before the law, A man who may be considered by some uh, a secular saint of sorts, who in fact was a human being because the FBI does have recordings of him having sex with women who are not his wife. And uh, he was put under surveillance because he was saying things that were unpopular at the time with the US government. It was unchecked and unknown until the early 70s, I believe, when a group of professors in media Pennsylvania broke into an FBI office to confirm what they suspected. That is, to find evidence, because they realized that J. Edgar Hoover was a tenacious bureaucrat who would probably have documentation of the methods they used to spy on activist groups at the time. A fascinating history that I recently learned in a book whose title eludes me at the moment, but uh, it was very cinematic in that it it was almost unbelievably outrageous, like the, the, the methods by which these concerned citizens got together, cased the FBI office, broke in, took documents, and then sent them to the Washington Post, and this was the very first time that the Washington Post received documents from what would be considered an illicit source, documents taken without permission from the U.S. government, given to the media to be released in the public, and to the Washington Post credit, even though the, the they had pressure from the Nixon administration not to publish, they did, which gave them a good dress rehearsal for how they would handle the Pentagon Papers a couple of months later, which was uh, Daniel Ellsberg leaking a secret history of Vietnam showing that the government has systematically lied. And by the way, uh, the the other reason that mass surveillance is concerning is because there is no empirical evidence to show us that any surveillance power used by a government will not be abused by individuals in that government who may not represent the entire government. Uh, They may be, you know, NSA officials who are spying on love interests, like uh, we learned recently through the, the Snowden revelations. The the NSA databases have been abused by individual NSA analysts who are basically checking out people they're dating, monitoring their private conversations.
0: Sure. Yeah, that was a recent interview with The Guardian where he was kind of describing how, you know, somebody, an NSA agent will come across a, a naked picture of somebody in their, I guess, their search for terrorists. And they'll start passing it around the office and say, hey, hey, Kevin, look at what I got. Look at this picture. Next thing you know, this entire office of people is has seen a, you know, a lewd image of someone who thought they were just sending a private image to their lover or just saving it on their phone for whatever reason. And suddenly this whole office of people who maybe their mission wasn't to do that, but when they have that sort of access, they have that sort of power and it goes completely unchecked. Well, that's the kind of thing that's going to happen.
1: Power does have a tendency to corrupt. I mean, this is something that I, I think resonates with liberty-minded individuals. And again, one of the things that I immediately thought of The scope and the grasp of monitoring telephone metadata is incredibly, incredibly intrusive. It is, in fact, almost more intrusive than knowing the actual content of a conversation. Glenn Greenwald was in Los Angeles recently talking about his book. And one of the great examples he gave was that the NSA doesn't have to know what you're talking about uh, if you are, uh, let's say, uh, an individual who went to a STD clinic to know what and all I have to do is look at the fact that you called this clinic, and then after that, you, you called your pharmacist. You don't know what was discussed, and you don't need to know. But that is pretty uh, private information that is damaging, and all you need to know is is the, the numbers that you called. And that's what they're scraping through the NSA metadata collection program.
0: Sure, and then the contents of the phone call might reveal that it's actually something innocuous or something more innocent, but by not having the con not that I want them to have the contents of the phone call either, but that metadata paints a certain picture that there's really no way to even refute. If And that information could be used for all sorts of various ends, whether it's bribing a politician, b- intimidating an activist, who knows, especially when it's in
1: the wrong hands. But these days, it seems like the government is often the wrong hands. Very, very good point. Uh And Even more frightening is that the criteria for being labeled a person of suspicion has also been revealed by the Snowden documents. And individuals who are interested in privacy on the internet are labeled as suspect. So if you Google Tor, which is uh, the onion router, which is how you can access the internet and and not be tracked or be more secure in where your physical location is and, and what you're looking at, will trigger a flag in the NSA databases and uh, get you monitored. If you are a developer and you're uh, visiting a, a Linux website, Linux magazine, that also labels you as a, as a person of suspicion. And that also brings up the point of economic espionage. So the salacious stuff is, is the stuff that is most easy to talk about. But the fact that some of the stories that are coming out from the NSA are revealing that the NSA is engaging in espionage for economic benefit of the United States seems to fly in the face that this these mass surveillance programs are needed for fighting terrorists. There's a story where Lula, the very popular former president of Brazil hosted a regional economic forum for the Americas and there's documentation showing that the US ambassador to Brazil effusively praising the NSA for their surveillance of all the delegates for the different countries that were there and allowing the U.S. to know what their bargaining position was prior to having to go into negotiations. Now, what this does to us and how this hurts a free society, the United States has a competitive advantage because of the technology in the United States that is based here and the development of companies like Apple and the the genius of companies like Google at solving problems on the Internet faster and better than anyone else has And the fact that they're based here is beneficial to us, beneficial to the world, but, you know, when I say us, I mean uh, the United States taxpayer, because these people provide jobs, etc. But what's happening now is that American companies, sometimes because of no fault of their own, sometimes because they've been outright cooperating with the NSA, are losing foreign business. It's estimated that there will be economic damage. There has been economic impact to U.S. business. Because companies like Verizon are losing contracts with the German government because they no longer trust American technology. And what that means is that over time, we're going to see other companies emerge and the United States-based businesses lose business abroad because of the taint of the NSA. And they don't want to host their data in the U.S.,
0: Uh, Yeah, it's, it's kind of like economic blowback, just like we often see with our foreign policy. Now, Pablo, why don't you update us a little bit? I know you're deeply involved in this fight against the NSA. What kind of progress are you seeing? Well, why don't you first tell us specifically what Restore the Fourth is doing, what their mission is in regards to fighting this NSA and mass surveillance, and you know, just generally what you're seeing out there. I know you're deeply involved in this movement. What's the feeling you're getting about the ongoing efforts to battle this mass surveillance, whether it's legality or grassroots movements? What's your view of everything?
1: Well, the path to restoring the forest, the path to ensuring our individual privacy as as human beings and, and as American citizens is going to take form in three different ways. First is encryption. Everyone locks their door. We need to start doing that in the digital world by propagating the idea that you should encrypt your email, you should use encrypted chat, you should use Tor when possible. And one of the services that Restore the Fourth as a national organization is doing is helping sponsor crypto parties around it. And, and there's a great resource called at CryptoParty.atx. This is a how-to guide prepared by the Austin chapter of Restore the Fourth. And what it does is it helps you secure your digital communications through very, very well done walkthroughs on how to set up PGP and tour and find more secure solutions to uh, mobile messaging, which is a good first step. So uh, encryption, everyone should use it. We need to make it more normal in terms of just as as a precaution, looking at how you communicate online and doing so in a more in a secure manner. The second way is coalition politics. Last summer, there was an amendment sponsored by Justin Amash, who I adore. The amendment was attached to a spending bill. And it would have defunded the NSA telecommunications spying plan. And what happened was, despite that the Republicans having a majority in the House and the party leadership on both sides in the House and the president, well, it's important to note that there's a Republican majority in the House, uh, the party leadership and the president all basically saw this as a threat to mass surveillance and came out against it. But the majority of Democrats and Republicans, a significant majority and a surprising majority of uh, Democrats and Republicans voted for the amendment. It ended up failing, but what it revealed was that more Democrats, by the way, voted for it than against it. An interesting coalition where we see the left and the right and the liberty minded come together to try to effect meaningful change. And it is in that pattern that Restore the Fourth exists. We're a nonpartisan organization. We exist kind of as a franchise. They're a very loose confederation at the national level, which has recently incorporated so they can do more fundraising. But we have active chapters in California, in San Francisco, and they are amazing technologists and activists who have been very helpful at at getting the LA chapter up and going because the LA chapter is unique in that we're all concerned citizens. Everyone, like uh, one of our members is a uh, web developer, another is a Hollywood PR person, and the other one who's on the board is a former hedge fund guy. And we're not activists by any stretch of the imagination. We're concerned citizens. And so we've had to rely on this network to help us, you know, figure out how to best effectuate change in LA. We all believe different things, by the way. We, we, we have very narrowly focused conversations on mass surveillance because we're left, right, libertarian. So the coalition activism is really, really an effective way of bringing together different viewpoints to enact change. So coalition politics, encryption, and nullification is the third element here. I don't think we can trust the federal government or the NSA to reform itself. I don't know if that's a radical idea or not, but the fact that the NSA relies on resources all over the United States to help them conduct mass surveillance on Americans is a huge vulnerability and there are nullification bills that are going through the California legislature that would cut off from the University of California system and the state of California to the NSA. For example, University of California Irvine is a state-run organization, but it's also considered, uh, labeled as a center of excellence by the NSA. Uh, there's no need for the NSA to be on that campus at California taxpayer expense. That
0: does not sound like a compliment. (laughs) No, it, it, it is, it is not.
1: And so, uh, Nullification can help remove this odious element of uh, mass surveillance from the state of California. The other interesting thing is you might be aware of what's going on in Utah. that There is a massive data center being built by the NSA in Utah that needs tons and tons of water a day to cool its computers in order to make sure that they can store and process all of the data that they collect. Um, the local chapter of Restore the Fourth has been involved in reaching out with the 10th Amendment Center, in putting together a group that would shut down the municipality's contract with the NSA to provide them water. And that's a very, very exciting idea, that there is nothing in the—we have a constitutional avenue of, at the most local level, stopping mass surveillance in our own backyard, and the aggregate effect would be to give the NSA no room to, to conduct this type of mass surveillance.
0: I particularly love that off now movement, I I believe it's called, the the movement to just shut off the resources to the NSA because, you know, we're so used to thinking um, in terms of the cloud or what have you when it comes to information, of, of information just being out there. But people forget or maybe they just don't know this information is physically stored in places and one of those places that is this massive center in utah where they have all of these and just massive amounts of hard drives and you know when they have all these massive hard drives they need to keep them cool and they need that facility running to keep them all kind of up and running and cooled down and they use just i don't i've read the numbers at one point i don't, I don't I'm, just, I'm not going to try to quote them since i don't have them in front of me but it's a massive amount of water every single day that they're using to keep this center going and that's just one of many ways that we can battle them is by, you know, shutting off the resources. And, you know, if every state does that, maybe they can, if they get shut down in Utah, they can move somewhere else. But, you know, at some point, if, if we can really keep this activism going and keep awareness going and keep these movements alive and vibrant, like you guys are doing at Restore the Fourth, then, you know, eventually they will have no place to hide when it comes down to it, which is, you know, the title of Glenn Greenwald's book on the Snowden revelations that I'm stealing there. But, you know, we need to turn the tables on them and, and kind of give the NSA no place to hide our data. It's the way I see it. So I'm really glad that you guys are supporting that. You found this Restore the Fourth Los Angeles movement, but I know it couldn't be a national movement in a way. How are people able to start their own local chapters of Restore the Fourth? Do you guys help people with that or how does that work?
1: We are a national organization. We are a, a local affiliate of Restore the Fourth Network. So you should go, if you're interested in learning about Restore the Fourth, go to RestoreTheFourth.com, for number 4, TH.com. There you will see a, a Google map that will show uh, all of our locations. In California, we have active chapters in San Diego, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and I believe Santa Cruz should be coming online soon. The national group will help onboard you. And what onboarding means is you will have ideas of how to create an email list, how to create events, how to find coalition partners. And the coalition partners are important. And this is where the liberty movement, I think, is really providing a strong service. So in L.A., we've had several events. We've had rallies and speakers and other type of watch parties for different national rallies and such. But libertarians have been involved. So we've had Nick Hancock from the 10th Members. 10th uh, Amendment Center and um, the late great Steve Collette from the Libertarian Party of LA come and speak about mass surveillance issues at rallies we had in Santa Monica. We've had great participation and promotion of this from RLC, Republican Liberty Caucus, and they just seem to get it and provide you know what we need, which are individuals who will show up to events and help spread the word. Similarly, we've reached out to Young Americans for Liberty, which has a very active chapter at USC. And Young Americans for Liberty, Students for Liberty are part of this national coalition that we can turn to if when we have a new chapter of Restore the Fourth coming along, and they want to you know introduce themselves or find connections or, or resources to, to have make events happen. We refer them to organizations like that. Unfortunately, uh, in Los Angeles, we don't have nearly the the same reach that san francisco has just because there seems to be a less active activist community that that, that we can get in touch with uh, we've been in touch with elements of occupy they're a part of us at the very beginning but they seem to have fallen off but uh when we do have events they do show up so i guess that's what's important but the day-to-day we use facebook twitter our email list to spread information and the news of the day and analysis The L.A. group does really well, I think, in providing analysis on the news that comes out of New York Times, adding a little bit more skepticism, perhaps, to the official statements of like Dianne Feinstein, etc.
0: Pablo, before I let you go, there's a couple other things I want to make sure you get a chance to plug. And one of them is, is something I had only found about the other week when you told me about it. And that's this No Drones in L.A., No Drones in Los Angeles coalition. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on with that?
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, I'm so glad you mentioned that because uh, that is, I think, one of the important things that uh, Restore the 4th LA is getting involved with. So the No Drones LA campaign is, again, another coalition. So we are working with the Bill of Rights Defense Committee, the ACLU of Southern California, Republican Liberty Caucus, and this fantastic organization called Stop LAPD Spying. Stop LAPD Spying is very active in promoting how the LAPD uses tactics of basically urban warfare and surveillance against the population that then become normalized and sort of reflect this overall militarization of the police force. So in the city of Seattle, Seattle PD acquired two Dragonflyer drones. These are very small surveillance drones that when they announced that they were going to use them, caused such an uproar in the community of Seattle, because the the, Seattle PD is like all PDs, notoriously brutal. We're not allowed to put those drones in the air. So Seattle PD gifts these drones to the LAPD. The LAPD under Mayor Garcetti is told to have a a public discussion about how the drones are going to be used. The Stop LAPD Spying Coalition and ACLU Southern California reached out and let us know that they're going to be helping promote the reasons why LAPD should not be given drones. How LAPD cannot be trusted with drones because they have a long history of lies, unnecessary violence, and a regular violation of constitutional rights of LA citizens. For example, in April 2014 it was revealed that LAPD officers sabotaged the antennas on LAPD squad cars which provide the feed to the squad car video and microphones. Now There's an empirical observation that happens that when you can record and monitor and police in in their day-to-day field activities, incidents of police brutality goes down. 90 of 300 squad cars were sabotaged. 85 of these cars were in the Southeast Bureau of Los Angeles, which is overwhelmingly a minority community. Police Chief Beck knew of this but did not share this information with the police commission until much later. The monitoring equipment was a condition of a federal consent decree that was imposed on the LAPD after the Rampart scandal. Just imagine what they could do with pervasive secret surveillance. Another reason that we can't trust them with drones is that they love the mission creep. The SWAT team was pioneered in LA. The original purpose for the SWAT team was for armed situations and hostages. Uh, Now they're deployed on a daily basis. And
0: now it's for throwing grenades in cribs and all sorts of other terrible
1: things, apparently. Right, I get under the justification of the war on drugs. Surveillance, by the way, really does unify two things. It, 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 surveillance unifies the empire abroad and the police state at home. The use of parallel construction in order to use NSA-collected data at a local level. There are these horrifying stories where uh, local police forces are given data by the DEA, which gets it from the NSA. And they're told to cover up how they acquire the data. Because to do so, would reveal that there's unconstitutional mass surveillance going on. Uh, this is terrifying. This is the union of the war on drugs and the war on terror through mass surveillance. Very troubling.
0: Absolutely. It is troubling. But, you know, there's a, when you see something troubling and you see something terrible going on, there are a couple things we can all do. One of them is to just shrug our shoulders, accept that it's the way it is, And just, you know, move on with our lives and hope it all works out. The other thing you can do is say, no, this is wrong, and find ways to speak out against it. That's what I try to do with our website, with LionsLiberty.com, with this podcast. And that's something that you guys are doing a great job of, not just with Restore the Fourth, the Snow in L.A. project, with everything you're out there doing on a day-to-day basis, Pablo. So I greatly appreciate the fact that you're out there doing this, that you're hopefully creating other people that are out there doing this, and that between the two of us and the other people all around us that are doing this kind of thing, we can hopefully make some real change in the world and actually see a place where we do more than what we're often accused of, of quote-unquote just bitching on the internet, and actually make some change in the world, and actually scale back, at least at the very minimum scale back. I mean, that's a very small wish to scale back some of the spying and some of the abuses that are going on at so many levels of government, so I'm really glad you're out there doing that. Before I let you go, why don't you just give everyone the roundup of ways they can... Get in touch with everything you're doing. Follow you on social media. And also, you know, feel free to plug Liberty on the Rocks as well. I know we didn't get a chance to really talk about that too much. But for those out there in L.A. and other cities out there, that's a really fun way to, you know, meet other Liberty activists and that kind of thing.
1: Right. So uh, you can connect with Restore the Fourth at a national level at RestoreTheFourth.com. You can learn about how to encrypt your digital communications at CryptoPartyATX.org. You can learn about... Restore the Fourth LA at restorethefourthla.org. Fourth year fourth is spelled F O R T H rather than number four. And you can connect with us on Twitter at Restore the Fourth LA, Restore the Fourth, number four LA. Uh, and uh, you can learn about Liberty on the Rocks at facebook.com forward slash livefreeLA. And Liberty on the Rocks is a really important organization, I think, to to me personally, because it's how I found Restore the Fourth and how I've connected with a lot of Really fascinating uh, liberty-minded individuals. It's growing. And if you are interested in starting your own chapter of Liberty on the Rocks, we wholeheartedly encourage you to get in touch with our founders at liberty on the Rocks.org. And they are very happy to provide support and tips on how to grow a Liberty Network in your local area. There's no reason you have to be drinking alone. Uh <laughs> and uh not
0: that there's anything wrong with
1: that oh no no no! in fact i really l- enjoy your libertarians drinking liquor in living rooms that is my favorite Lions of liberty segment oh well thank you usually my guests don't plug my stuff for me but i'm glad you did so i'll link to that and miss the show notes as well
0: pablo serrato everybody keep up the great work i'm really glad you're out there doing it pablo serrato once again thanks for everything you're doing keep it up take care man thank you we'll be back after a little break do you want your kids to meet the champion of the Constitution? What if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to youth through the story of Ron Paul's amazing life? What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and non-interventionist foreign policy? What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? The book is Meet Ron Paul, and you can get your copy today at lionsofliberty.com slash meetronpaul. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Meet Ron Paul and keep the liberty movement moving. Hey guys, Mark Claire here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of Liberty daily. We bring you The Morning Roar! That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of The Morning Roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media, or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LinesOfLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily.
1: Chris Rossini's new book, Set money, free. Set money Free, what every American needs to know about the Federal Reserve, Set money free. with a special foreword by Ron Paul,
0: that has easy to understand questions and answers. Set free. Set Buy Set Money Free Set on Amazon.com,
1: Amazon. Chris Rossini's Set Money Free. Money free Set money free Set money free said money free you know said money free you know said in the nine you know said money free you
0: know said in the nine here is your host your guide your shining beacon of liberty mark Clare. all guys come back hope you're still here and i hope you enjoyed my talk with pablo serrato a great guy and a great activist who's really kind of hitting the street so to speak and making things happen battling the nsa battling mass surveillance and look Pablo's just a normal guy he's just a normal guy who got concerned about the things he was seeing going on with this government and decided he's not just going to sit there he's going to do something about it and educate people about it That's what we all need to do when we're concerned about the injustices we see in the world. You know, and sometimes it does feel like I'm just shouting in an echo chamber or talking to myself, but I know that it's not the case. I know that there are other people out there. That's why I bring them on the show to talk to them to remind me I'm not crazy. That's why I got people like Pablo on the show, people that are out there doing what I'm doing. Maybe not in the same way. We all have different ways of doing things, but we're here for the same thing, and that's promote the ideas of liberty. And promote individual freedom. And look, I already went on a rant in the beginning of the show, so I'm not gonna go on another one. But I do want to take a minute just to let you guys know how you can help us out here at Lions of Liberty. And the best thing you can do is help us spread the word, whether it's coming over to our social media, again, facebook.com slash lines of liberty, over on Twitter at Lions of Liberty, we're on Google Plus Two. Come over to our social media, but more importantly, share it with people. Show people our webpage, you know, share our links on your walls, retweet our stuff. That's the kind of thing we need to get the word out. If you like what we're doing, I hope you'll do that. Also, as far as the podcast goes, no matter how you listen, whether you listen over on the Daily Paul where I post it, if you listen over at our website, or if you listen on Stitch or iTunes, no matter what method you use, it would really be a huge help if you did go over to iTunes, subscribe on iTunes, leave a review, leave a rating, hopefully a good review, hopefully a good rating. I'm not going to tell you what to do. And hey, tell your friends, tell your family, send them an email, say, hey, I found this cool podcast, this cool website. You might find it interesting. Little stuff like that. That's all I ask. And of course, if you do want to help us financially, I don't accept donations. I don't want donations, but we do have an Amazon link on our website. If you do use Amazon, if you do buy products there, if you just click through that link first and go make whatever regular purchases you would already make, not asking you to buy more than you already would. But if you do use Amazon and want to go through our link, it'll really help us out. Kick some money back to us and we'll use that money to try to improve our website, improve this podcast and keep doing what we're doing, spreading the ideas of liberty. That's really all I ask, guys. Well, there is one more thing I ask, of course, and that is for you to live long and live free.